Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we are extremely excited to bring you the second installment of our in-season episodes. Once again, we got games on the television. We're watching around. And when exciting things happen, we're going to let you know. Um, but we're also going to review the last week in all of sports with a focus on baseball like we do just about every week. Um, so we're going to start off with a little news from across the three sports. And then in honor of basketball being back last night, something that Sam and I are both also very excited about, we're going to do a special NBA stack corner today. We're going to be reviewing real plus minus, actually. So that's going to be very fun. Um, and then we're going to round it out by just checking out the Fangraphs leaderboards and talking about some early performances that have really caught our eyes. So um, with that, Sam, what do we have first on the news docket? Yeah, so first we're going to talk about something that happened in the NFL, a blockbuster trade. It involved a team that I happen to be a fan of, the New York Jets, and a player that I was formerly a fan of, Jamal Adams. Uh, Jamal How do you Adams, feel about him now? I still think he's a great football player. I think, you know, we'll, we'll see how he is in, in the Seahawks. I think he did a few things over the line enforcing this trade, and, and I'll discuss that. But basically, Jamal Adams famously requested a trade from the Jets a couple months ago. The Jets said they were not going to trade him unless they were blown away by an offer. And oh boy, were they blown away by an offer. The Seattle Seahawks, who uh, have a history of trading away high draft picks for players they like, uh, are giving the Jets two first-round draft picks, 2021 and 2022, an additional third-round draft pick in 2021, and the safety Bradley McDougald in return for Jamal Adams in a fourth-round pick. So as far as getting value out of a bad situation goes, the Jets hit a home run here. They got about as much value as you could possibly get back for Adams. Now, there's another side of this, which is that Jamal Adams is a fantastic player. Drafted by the Jets. He's the type of player you prefer to sign to a long-term contract and keep on your team. And, you know, something went wrong with him, with the Jets. He became unhappy. He sort of did a, a, a you know, a burn the everything to the ground interview uh, where he Servants basically... marched to the sea. Exactly, where he, he basically said that Adam Gaze is not a leader, shouldn't be running the team. This curiously happened a day or two before the trade. And after that interview, I mean, I don't see how you play with this guy if you're a Jets player, how you have him in the locker room. It's too poisonous. So, you know, I basically... But it's also just such a scummy way to accomplish what you want. Like, if his goal was to say something that would be so ridiculous they felt like they had to trade him, like, that's just a bad way to do it. It's just a bad look. It looks like you're willing to throw your brothers, your teammates, guys who you spend more time with than your families quite often under the bus for your own personal gain. And it seems menial. It's not like he's fighting for a free agent contract where you'll hear some players talk about a teammate who holds out in the NFL. And they're like, well, he's doing what he has to do for his and his family. Like they don't hate it, you know, but to just straight up be like this team I'm on and this coach who's now coaching all these guys who I've been playing with, you know, he can't do it. He's trash. 
as a way of forcing their hand. I, I it's a bad look in my opinion. I, I don't like it. I think it's also you know it left you know Le'Veon Bell was upset about this. He tweeted you know this guy said everything he could to get me to come to the Jets, and then he doesn't believe it. He just leaves. I think it's going to reflect poorly on him on future teams he's on, where teammates sort of think, is this guy just going to sell us on, you know, under the bus if it means getting what he wants? I think it was a bad look by Adams. And it really, you know, he's a player that I absolutely love, but it really soured me on him, the way he forced his way out. I, you know, if, if he had just been traded, I'd, I'd, I would have kept rooting for him, a guy I've rooted for for a while. But I, I really think he acted over the line in getting himself out of New York. But, you know, we'll just move on from it. Joe Douglas is building the team the right way, getting draft picks, you know. So Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a smart move and a good move by him. I think the interesting question at this point is, like, does – so the whole thing here with Adams was that he wanted to be the highest-played safety in football, right? And so does this actually hurt that goal? Because what I could see coming from this is that teams aren't willing to put that money in for him as a franchise player. Now, of course, it's possible one team just says, forget it. You know, Dan Snyder still runs the Redskins, so you never know. But this seems like a guy who's now going to travel one or two seasons um, as kind of like a mercenary, you know, a big gun for hire. He's going to take a big annual salary, but he's not going to have that security. He's not going to have that large sum contract that he was really so worked up with the Jets about. Um We'll have to see how it works, but it's definitely possible that this whole thing backfires on him and he ends up losing the end goal that he started out with. You still might see him sign an extension with the Seahawks. One thing I will note is that, you know, the Jets didn't want to pay $20 million a year on a safety. They don't view it as a, as a position that's like valuable, as valuable as the most valuable positions in the NFL. The Seahawks build their defense around the secondary, around a versatile safety. So maybe this makes more sense to get as a, you know, if you're the Seahawks. But, mm -hmm. no, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. Um, our next piece of news is more New York sports news about another team that I'm a fan of, and that's that the Knicks have hired Tom Thibodeau to be their next uh, head basketball coach, signed a five-year contract. Uh, he's been rumored to be the front runner for this position for a while while they're doing interviews. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, any thoughts on Tibbs that you have yourself, Aaron? I mean, if my I'm just if I'm just going to be totally honest, like I don't get what people see in Tibbs. Like I understand that he won 82 games. Well, oh, sorry, he coached 82 games. He won 62 games in his first season, and like. You know, that's pretty good, but he's hasn't won any more than 50 since then. And he's, he's a guy who just seems like, and I'm not an NBA expert, so I can't say this for sure. But to me, he sounds like a guy who just runs his players into the ground. He ran, he's tried to run Cat into the ground. He presided over some of Cat's longest struggles in the NBA, and that's one of the best players in the NBA. He definitely hurt Jimmy Butler at some point, like, I don't think he's a good coach, really. And I, the Knicks could have had so many people. I, I don't fully understand it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, so my feelings on Tibbs is basically, he was a great coach in Chicago. 
There's no question about it. A great defensive mind. Uh, was one of the best defensive basketball coaches in, in, in the league. Then he went, you know, he left Chicago for a couple of years, came back to Minnesota. By the time he's back, the game has totally changed. It's turned into a three-point league. Um, and Tibbs didn't seem to evolve his defensive strategies towards the modern NBA while he was in Minnesota. He had a lot of talent on that team with people like, you know, Cat, Jimmy Butler, and he did not succeed. And he seemed unwilling to sort of adapt to the modern trends of the NBA. Right. Now, Tibbs, you know, he could still be a decent coach uh, for the Knicks. Like, I'm not saying this is going to be a, a terrible outcome. But I think he pretty solidly established himself as an average, slightly below average coach in his last tenure in Minneapolis. And basically, what I think is I'd rather sign someone a bit more unknown who has a chance to be a great coach because i think the difference between a top five coach and an average coach in the nba is much different than the difference between an average coach and a bottom five coach mm -hmm. so i'd rather make sort of a more unknown higher variance higher it gives me the chance to to really hit you know strike gold find a great coach the Knicks didn't go that route, and I'm a bit disappointed by it. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you 100%. I, oh, my God. But I think that's, I think that's all you can that, say about that. Just blew a game when they were up. Are, are, you, are you live now, Sam? Are you with me on the feed? Yeah, they're now down 11-10. Yeah. So, as we mentioned, we got games on. Sam just watched Travis Darnot X-Met. Ooh, this has to hurt. Off of Seth Lugo. Lugo throws the cutter. It looks like it's running outside. Darno stays through the ball. Beautiful swing on that. Um, out to right center field. Wilson Ramos totally out of position to make the tag. Um, not a great toss as well. And two runs score there for the for the Braves. So um, we'll keep an eye on that game. It ain't over, Sam. They still got a, they still got a chance. They were up eight two at one point in this game. They still got a chance, but that bullpen's not been looking good. So um, that's that's all I want to say about uh, Tom Thibodeau. There, um, as we mentioned, the NBA is back, folks. It came back last night. Um, we got some big, big teams playing in the bubble. Um, of course, the Lakers, the Clippers, um, the Bucks—all favorites to win right now. Um, who do you like, Sam? Uh, I was watching the Bucks Celtics game today. I mean, the Bucks are really good. I think the East is going to be easier to get through than the West. Uh, but you know, I I could see any of those three teams winning it. Uh, I you know they're all so good. But I if I had to pick one team, I'd go with the Bucks. So I definitely like the Suns in the shortened <laughs> NBA bubble here. Um, but outside of uh, D-Book's crew, you know, I want the Clippers, but there's like so much, uh, so many questions surrounding their health right now. I'm not sure I really like trust that they're going to play a, um, a real full season. And God damn it. In the D-backs game, Betts just takes one into the left field corner and both of our teams are losing now. Yeah, it's not been not been fun. Jeez, it's been tough for both of us. Um, 
but yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to say the Clippers if they're fully healthy. Otherwise, let's see the Bucks. You know, I don't want to bet against LeBron, but the Bucks would be a fun team. I'd love to see Giannis in in a finals matchup. That would be great. I also do have a oral bet on the Bucks from earlier this season to win at plus five fifty. So I, I'd love if they won. Let's go. That'd be great. So Sam, something that's interesting, I think, is that the NBA has um, built this system, let's call it, um, to play COVID NBA games, where NBA players, personnel, and staff are quarantined within a virtual bubble um, in Orlando, Florida. So far, they've seen no corona cases, to my knowledge. Yeah, I think people had tested positive upon initial arrival, but I don't think anyone has been infected in the bubble. There you go. So um, they're doing pretty well, and it's only been two games now, but they're doing pretty well, and they've been at their facilities for much longer. They've been in the bubble for uh, an additional week or two. Um, Now, baseball, on the other hand, and this is the big news at the top of the docket here, Baseball has been experiencing quite a lot of corona cases. By the last count, there are 128 total positive tests in baseball. 104 of those are players, 24 are staff. And it all looks, Sam, like it might have started in Miami. Yeah. I mean, so th- these guys, by according to an MLB... Uh... MLB investigation, of course, 18 players on the Marlins have tested positive. Uh, an investigation sort of found that they were going out to hotel bars, to clubs when they were in Atlanta during for an exhibition game before the start of the season, not following regulations. They then decided by a group text chain to play a game after uh, four people tested positive against the Phillies. Uh, Wait, what? I didn't see that. Yeah, it was... Uh, when they had their four initial positive tests, basically Miguel Rojas was asked, you know, he's a veteran on the team. Are you guys going to play? They decide over text to play. That, of course, exposes the Phillies. Uh, no players have tested positive, but two staff members, I believe, have. For the Phillies? Yeah, the Marlins have not played this week. The Phillies have not played this week. Today, the Cardinals had two pitchers test positive. We don't know who. So their game versus the Brewers was postponed. Uh, and basically, Rob Manford had a conversation with Tony Clark, basically saying, if the guidelines don't start getting followed better, the season's probably going to get canceled. And honestly, if the Mets end up losing this game, I, I want the season canceled. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy. Like, I'm thinking about being the Phillies, right? And, like, these are all your contemporaries. These are all your peers. You're all, like, pretty young guys. And you want to be cool about it. Like, this is such an awkward subject, I think, as we all know, to, like, experience in social spaces. And you, like, want to be cool about it. Like, yeah, you do whatever. But also then you're furious because you just had guys, like, literally in a post game, not be able to resist going to a hotel bar. Like, who is ever like, oh, my God, I need to be, you know, in the Hilton bar right now. Or I need to be in my four-star Sheraton bar. Like, they have to be mad about it because most of these guys have wives. A lot of them have kids. Like I, I think it goes beyond that. Like you watch the games, these guys are high-fiving after home runs. They're, they don't seem to be social distancing in the dugout or wearing masks. Like it, it's either they don't understand sort of what you have to do to socially distance 
or a lot of them simply don't seem to care. So, yeah, you know, we can criticize the, you know, the league all we want for how they sort of gone about dealing with this. They've like really not had any obvious plan, but at a certain point, you know, it's going to come down to whether players are going to act responsibly. It seems like they're not so far. Uh, we'll see if that changes, but like, if another team goes down like the Marlins, like I don't see how the season can keep happening. I we, I agree with we you. Have, we already have multiple teams who have not, you know, not really. They, they're not playing this week, and you're not going to be able. They just agreed to do seven inning double headers starting now. Uh, so you know maybe they can make up some games that way. But like, if you if you regularly have teams missing a full week because you know a bunch of players are going down with coronavirus, you're simply not going to have a season. Um, so, Or at least not on the timeline, you think? Yeah, so we'll, we'll see if things change. And I also think that this is a, a sobering reality for the NFL, who has sort of seemed to want to go the no-double route like MLB. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems to be abundantly clear that the, the bubble system is working much better in the NBA. Of course, the NBA is more well-suited for a bubble. There are fewer people. There's less space needed to play games, to practice. Right. So that's I mean, I don't think a, a true bubble is feasible for any of the other sports, right? Like, there is no other place where you could have 10 football fields. or uh, Some spring training facilities have 10 baseball fields, but they're spread out over a big area. I guess baseball could do it if they were in Arizona, but it's such a big ask from the players. Although I do have to admit that you make a good point, Sam, and I'm starting to say like, you know, the players fought on what I believe is the correct side of a labor battle between the owners and the players, but the players are being, and with some obvious exceptions, the players are being extremely cavalier about the whole thing. Like, I don't expect that everybody wear a mask on the field while they play because we all know how hot they are and like it, that sucks. Um, and it doesn't just suck; it hinders your performance. But when you're like on base, you could, or in the field, maybe uh, like there's definitely in the dugout, like and definitely don't high five like you're saying. We're seeing these guys like come in, do big celebrations, slap each other on the back. I get it; like that's how the game is best played, but everybody else in the world is making some conscious change in their daily and ingrained habits to combat this. Like, yeah, I can't believe that the players haven't been able to figure it out yet. Like, can you really not play baseball without giving people high fives? Like just, just go 60 games without it. You can go back to doing it next year. It's, it's really quite good. And like do your virtual celebrations and like, fake elbow each other like there's so many ways or even even real elbow if you're both wearing masks like there's just so many ways for them to like prevent this and to be honest i've seen almost none of it you know i always see lindor in a mask i've always seen pablo sandoval in a mask there's a handful of other guys in the league but i'm looking up at the tv i can see about 14 guys between the five games that i'm watching not a single one of them is wearing a mask in any capacity in the dugout on the field. And, and they got to do something. They're standing, you know, one and a half feet apart in the dugout. Like 
They're not- well, this actually, this brings us perfectly to our next story, Sam, because uh, two days, two nights ago, the Dodgers are in Houston for obviously an amazing matchup. You know, this is a, this is a World Series that has all a matchup that has already happened. Of course, the Astros got the better of them then, and that a lot of people think will happen again this year. Everyone's stoked on it. And you get big Joe Kelly out on the hill. And if anybody's watched Joe Kelly throw, they know that guy's got, let's call it a bit of an edge to him, okay? He's a, he's a bit of a loose cannon. He's instigated fights in Boston. You know, he's been around everywhere he's gone. He's been around something. So he comes up. He's pitching to Bregman. He totally loses him. It's 3 nothing. So he figures, I'm going to let one of these guys fly. And he just lets a ball fly at Bregman. Bregman ducks it. It was going in his head, which is kind of Bush League. But, yeah. Um, and then later in the inning, he loses. He quite obviously loses a slider to Springer. Like, he's not trying to hit him in that spot. It made absolutely no sense to hit him. You can see it's a slider that he lost out of his hands. He couldn't control any of his previous pitches. Yeah. But, of course, Joe Kelly being Joe Kelly is like, I don't care what you think it is. He gets um, the, this pitch also misses Springer. So the bat, at bat's still going on. And then he, or this is Correa, I'm sorry. And then he gets Correa swinging on a nasty slider. And walking back to the dugout, he starts talking shit. He starts making pouty faces at them, like wow. being a real clown. If you haven't seen this yet, go look up the gifts. Um, and obviously the Astros didn't take kindly to it. And the bench is cleared. We're in COVID and the bench is clear. Yeah, it's just like a complete inability to have like any perspective about what's going on around you. Uh, and I think the Joe Kelly thing was very controversial because so he ended up getting suspended eight games, which is a massive suspension in the 60 game season. Um, it's like the equivalent of uh, like 25 games or something. Yeah. Maybe 22 or something. Yeah, 22. But then, you know, it's... You know, they were going to have to make an example out of someone for throwing at the Astros. They can't just let every team throw at the Astros. Uh, but, you know, I, I agree. It's, it's pretty bushly to go headhunting. Like, it, it's hard for me to think of Joe Kelly as, like, this hero going after the Astros. Like, some people have sort of been talking about him, like, you don't throw baseballs 96 miles per hour at people's heads. Yeah, I mean, hit him in the hip, like, hit him on the butt, like, even hit him in the ribs. Like, yeah. like it's kind of bush, but it's like, fuck you. Like, that, that's a World Series. This is our life you're fucking with. He hits him in the ribs with 99. I'm saying, ouch, but that's the way it is. Going at someone's head, you kill someone like that. Like, you just can't do that. Um, but I don't think Joe Kelly's a hero. I just think Joe Kelly is hysterical he has never will never give an f yeah I'll and agree with that watch watching him just go out there and like then everyone being like yo what the hell you just threw at us and him being like what are you gonna do about it <laughs> like not even trying to deny it yeah i love it i think it's old school here's what i'm gonna say i totally get the mlb like trying to make an example of them but i think the MLB also should have looked at this and been like, well, they deserve it. 
Like, you can't have guys throwing it, guys, but also I don't see how they, like, step in as the big bad guardian of the Astros here who, like, is his baseball and, like, they kind of deserve it if that's something that teams are willing to give away because it's obviously stupid from a perspective of trying to win a ball game. Yeah, well, the thing is they can't have it happening every game. So, and, and they've somewhat put the Astros in this position by not suspending any of them. I think, yeah, 100%, 100%. Uh, they're not going to suspend any of them, and now they're going to go and suspend Joe Kelly for trying to take it into his own hands because they didn't suspend him. Yeah, I think there maybe would have been some issues as far as the MLBPA goes in going in suspending the Astros because there weren't really guidelines to do that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, if they suspended the Astros, I think a lot of players, or some of the players on the Astros, I think a lot of players would have been a bit more, a, a bit less, you know, hurt by this. They'd feel like... Yeah. Um, all right, first and second, two out. <laughs> Keep this thing going. Um, so, I think... You know, there's a lot going on in the MLB, and we're definitely going to talk about some performances um, in a little bit here. But as far as news goes, um, that's what we thought was big to highlight this week. Um, we'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. It, it's so interesting, like, giving the players autonomy, but, like, also making sure that the whole league is safe. It's a really delicate balance. It's a really hard job, and I do not envy the GMs um, and the owners and the players even who have to deal with all this, but let us know your thoughts. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter at the alonzobet.com and make sure to shoot us an email at the alonzobet at gmail.com. We're constantly checking both. We love to hear from you guys. So um, with that, we're going to do a very special edition of stat corner today. As I mentioned at the top, we're going to move right into a very special NBA stat corner with a stat that Sam and I, and admittedly, we're not super into advanced NBA metrics. And we're going to explain a little bit, um, why in a second here, but, uh, this is a stat that Sam and I like to look at when we're like talking about good players and it's called real plus minus. Um, so before we go into real plus minus, Sam, why don't you give us a little primer on the differences between quantifying baseball and basketball? Sure. So when you think about baseball, it's sort of the statistician's wet dream. And the reason for that is that everything that happens is a discrete event. You can, you know, there's some teamwork going on, but it's basically like a bunch of people playing an individual sport. And you can sort of very easily assign credit for things to, you know, the hitter or the pitcher or the fielder. And it's just, it's, it makes it very easy to come up with a lot of statistics and analyze things in, in very complex ways. When it comes to basketball, there's so much teamwork intertwined and the typical, typical things you'll see in a box score like points, assists, rebounds. Uh, steals, blocks. They tell part of the story, but they don't tell all of it. They don't tell, you know, a guy getting a good defensive stop, a guy setting a good pick, a guy being a good shooter, so pulling his defender out of the middle so that there's room for someone else to drive. Like, there are all these little things that go into the, what's a player's doing on the basketball court that sort of don't show up in a typical box score. So one method by which a lot of basketball people try to sort of boil that down into a single stat is plus minus statistics, basically saying how much 
how many points does your team score while you're on the floor versus how many points does it give up? And typically you can look at a person's plus minus, but there might be a lot of other things that go into that. Like, you know, you play with LeBron James, so you have a good plus minus. Or you play against LeBron James, so you have a bad plus minus. Like, it's very dependent on who your teammates are and who you're playing against. So real plus minus basically attempts to correct yeah, I think that's a good explanation. And then I would say the only other thing to mention about NBA versus MLB is that in the NBA, you could argue positioning is key. And the ability to measure things like positioning um, and kind of the speed, the gradient of positioning, but I'm not talking about like foot speed, like the speed at which a player moves around the floor, I think is a different thing. And those are extremely important as far as scoring as a team goes. And there's a long way to go in the NBA for quantifying. Oh, Sam, let's go get out. Oh my God. I Sam. Oh, you haven't seen it yet. Okay. So the, yeah. the Mets game just ended on a ball that if it had gone four feet further would have been out of the park for a Mets lead. Um, that one has to hurt. But I think the big takeaway there has to be that they're fighting to the end. Sam, they had two guys on, they had the runner in scoring position and they got a heck of an AB right there. No, the, the big takeaway has to be that they basically lost four games. They should have won this year. Their bullpen's terrible and they, and they're, they're, Let's just move for on. those for those of you who might be listening on the West Coast and have never met a a true diehard Mets fan, I want you to know that Sam is not unique in this position. After every loss, the season is over for the Mets. After every loss, Mets fandom is just besides them beside themselves. There's only negative takeaways, but I guess that's what you expect from just years of being let down by the same squad. It's just. The this loss is unbelievable. They're up eight. They're up eight two in the fifth inning. Like it's just insane. Okay, we're definitely going to get into uh, some MLB teams and how they're doing a little later. So we'll save this discussion for then. But um, just to kind of wrap up this idea, NBA stats have a long way to go. But I think that with new technologies that are analogous to the way that the MLB does like TrackMan um, that we explained in a previous episode, um, there is the possibility of figuring out some better way of quantifying a player's contribution to the team um, and a player's contribution to winning games, most importantly, which is kind of the end result here for all advanced and predictive uh, statistics. So um, we'll keep an eye on it. But as far as real plus minus goes, this is, I think, one of the best things they have right now. And um, if you're familiar with plus minus, it's simply a measure of how many more or fewer points did your team score than your opposing team while you were on the floor. As Sam mentions, this is highly influenced by who you're playing around. Like every year you'll see a guy with a randomly high plus minus. I think really early in the year this year, Dwight Howard had like a massive plus minus because he'd come in for like five minutes with the A offense of the Lakers. And he'd have like LeBron and Anthony Davis on the floor at the same time. And like he, he just ran like six or seven games where they were dominant. 
Um, what real plus minus tries to do is it tries to take away the contribution from the rest of your team. So it looks at the impact from the whole league um, and it takes like an 100 offensive and defensive possession um, bucket basically um, and looks at the player's average impact over those 100 games. Um, so 100. it is a 100 possessions, I'm sorry. Um, it is a much more context neutral stat than plus minus. And as you know, from listening to us, uh, we love context neutrality. Yeah. And it, and it basically just does that by adjusting for who you play with and who you play against. So it basically takes your plus minus and then over some sufficiently large sample basically looks, basically tries to isolate how many points you yourself are impacting your team as opposed to, you know, just how many points your team are scoring while you're on the floor. And it can do that basically by looking at how good the people you play with are, how bad the people you play against are. Uh, and if you look at the, the real plus minus leaderboards, you know. There's no surprises. There's no surprise. The number one player this year is Giannis at 10 points, uh, 10.5 points per 100 possessions above, uh, uh, above average, uh, LeBron's at 9.79, James Huggins at 6.86, Jokic 5.59, Kawhi 5.33. Rounding out the top 10 are Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Rudy Gobert. You know, all the usual suspects, you'll find... But I, I will admit that as you go down, you get some interesting ones. Like Norman Powell randomly is 19 on this list, right? Like he's just in front of Dame Lillard. So you will get some interesting results. Um, and by the way, for all you Zion heads out there, Zion's at 15 on the list. Yeah, and typically you'll see rookies performing like really bad by real plus minus, like even compared to their box score stats, mm -hmm. or often like inefficient and things like this. So it's really impressive to see him up there. And yeah, I, I wouldn't say you guys should, you know, look at real plus minus and take it as much as gospel as like you might take war or something mm -hmm. or even honestly even ops plus yeah like like there's 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 definitely there's there's definitely more of the eye test going on in, in judging what's going on in basketball than there is in baseball um but it, but it's you know it's a useful stat it might point out players who are being undervalued uh you can also sort by offense and defense you could see sort of how players are contributing on the defensive end, which is especially hard to quantify. Mm -hmm. Steals and blocks might not have that much correlation with like how good you are defensively in terms of getting stops. Uh, but yeah, that's our that's our special NBA stat this year uh, for to celebrate the NBA's return. And with that, let's just get into talking about a few baseball players who are doing really well this season maybe really poorly talk about if we think things are sustainable. So I'm going to first start by going to the Fangraphs pitching leaderboard. Number one in both pitching war and FIP is Shane Bieber. He's already compiled 1.1 war and his FIP is negative 0.35. Yes, you heard me right. Uh, wow. According to fielding independent pitching, he should be gaining runs for his team, not losing them. Um, Obviously, that's, you know, impossible by ERA, but basically he's just, you know, FIP has some constant that adjusts. He's just pitching basically better than perfect right now. And he's pitched 22 innings. Sorry, he's pitched 14 innings. 
He has 25 strikeouts, one walk. Has not. He's left 100% of runners on base. Uh, not given up any runs. Uh, he's looked basically, you know, and I was low on the Indians coming into the season. Uh, and I think I just underrated that Shane Bieber was going to become Garrett Cole. Huh. Uh, Zach Plesak was going to be randomly good. Uh, I mean, their pitching is just always amazing. And Bieber... Was, Honestly, in, in 14... Well, I mean... In 14 innings, he's only allowed, like, 20 balls in play, basically. I mean, it's... Like, that's just kind of insane. He's striking out almost 50% of batters he faces. I mean, these are elite relief pitcher numbers. Like, this is like Josh Hader. But yeah. over, over set, seven innings a game. It's... <laughs> Obviously, this can't be sustained. It's impossible. But right now, Shane Bieber really looks like the best pitcher in baseball so far this season. And, it's- and this just goes to this Indians bullshit. Like, how every single year... There's some guy you've never well, – obviously, Shane Bieber, I, start, I think, started the All-Star game on a technicality last year. But, like, coming into last year, you didn't know who this guy was. Coming into this year, you didn't know if it was real. But Indians pitchers, I don't know whether it's their system or whether it's an incredible string of luck, they're always good. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive. Um I mean, even Aaron Safale was, like, nasty his first time out this year. Like, they just can't fail when they throw somebody on the hill. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive. Uh, so, is there a hitter you like, Sam? I know you're really liking Shane Bieber's performance. Is there anyone you like on the hitter's side? One person who I've really enjoyed seeing Rick so far this year is, is Corey Seager. And Corey Seager is a guy who, before, so he was one of the rare position players to go down with Tommy John surgery. And before that, we're talking about a guy who was showing up on, you know, number two or three on Fangraph's trade value rankings, like one of the, the young superstars in this league. And mm-hmm. it really seems like he was taking a little time, like he certainly wasn't bad last year but he was he, he hadn't really returned to what he was and now Corey Seager is leading the league with a 633 expected WOBA obviously that, that's impossible to continue he actually only has a 420 WOBA which is which is incredible but he's underperforming is expected by like 200 points but basically he's looked like the best hitter on the Dodgers so far and it's just so funny when you have Dellinger and Betts, and then suddenly you're thinking like, oh, wait, yeah, this Corey Seager guy is also potentially a top 10 to 15 hitter in baseball. Or not hitter, but position player. And it's just like, this team's insane. So I think what's interesting is that the other guy who, in my mind, is a lot like Corey Seager. Like, Corey Seager is definitely more overlooked than the man who I'm about to speak on, but they're both just absolute talents, absolute superstars who have had trouble staying healthy over the last couple of years. And when you go to the WOBA and WRC plus leaderboard, the top of both of them has John Carlos Stanton's name on it right now. Um, as long as you filter by like 20 plate appearances and this is such a small sample size, but John Carlos WRC plus is 323 right now, Sam. So that would be a pretty good season. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think that would be an excellent season. Um, and this is a guy who we know has light tower power, but who also is just really fun to watch hit. Like, no one hits the ball as hard as him. And it's good to see him uh, getting back out there and being good, even if it's for the most hateable team in all of baseball yeah. in New York. I think he hit the second hardest ball of the StatCast, or home run of the StatCast era at like 121.3. He, of course, has number one he, as well. He has number one as well, but just insane power and pop. You know, and it's like you said, you know, you hate to see it happen for the Yankees, but it's impressive to see him back. One other offensive performance that sort of struck me, but I think is maybe a bit less sustainable than these two. And maybe this struck me just because he hit three home runs in two days. A bit less sustainable than 323 WRC plus? Uh, yeah, yeah, a bit less sustainable. <laughs> uh, but Christian Vasquez, four home runs, leads the league. 421, 450, 1105, slash line. And, of course, the 315 WRC plus there. Yeah. Hit, hit three home runs in, in two days against the Mets, basically leading to two wins by himself. Um, but I will say, compared to a 614 WOBA, his expected WOBA OBA is only 375. So he is yeah. a little lucky. I don't think Christian Vasquez is a super superstar hitter, but maybe he's you know a good hitter at the catcher position, and that's that's something to be happy about, regardless for the Red Sox. Definitely, and and that's what I was saying to you earlier, Sam, is that uh, the, he obviously is not like Nelson Cruz all of a sudden, you know. But I believe that people have been sleeping on Christian Vasquez because he was so bad in 2018. In 80 games, he had a 42 WRC+. plus. But last year, he kind of made an adjustment in his swing. He jumped to 102, and there was a, a lot of chatter about how much better he looked, and then he carried that into this season. So I actually had him as kind of a guy who I thought people were sleeping on a bit this season. Um, but, of course, not to do this. I had a guy who, if he had, like, uh, Salvador Perez-type year, it would be incredible. Like that would be great for him, but it was possible. Um, and I still think we could see that, you know, this is a guy that with already three home runs, basically in the first six or seven games here um, has a real chance at hitting 15. Um, and we'll see. I think it's more likely that he sticks in the eight to 12 range. Um, but it's good to see him get off to a good start. It's always good to see someone break out. Yeah, and honestly, in a 60-game season, if you're hot through 15 games, like, you're probably going to end up with, like, pretty good stats. Yeah. Like, so, um, yeah. They uh, on the other end of the WOBA leaderboard, who do you think has the worst WOBA in baseball? Don't look if you haven't yet. Don't look. The worst WOBA and also the lowest war, I believe. Yes, the lowest war in baseball and the lowest uh, WRC plus. Um, are, are they a, a star? They are. Is it Ronald Acuna Jr.? It's not. Well, he's been awful, and I think we should talk about him. He, we will. He's 16th worst. His WRC plus is currently 32. Uh, Same, one point lower than Vlad Guerrero Jr., one point higher than Brian Reynolds. Is it uh, Bellinger? Nope. 
Belly is 12th on the list. Is it uh, Yelich? It is. But you're, okay, so you'll believe that his WRC plus is minus 43 right now, perhaps. Yeah. What I'm not sure you'll believe is that he's already lost half a game. Wow. Yeah, I mean, if you have a minus 43 WRC plus, that's, uh, that's not. But it's not just that. He's also minus a half on in base runs and minus 0.3 in the field. Like, he's been bad. The field, I think, must just be positional adjustment. I'm not even sure they have the the UZR stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it's always fun looking at these early season boards and being like, wow, that's crazy that Christian Yelich is by far the worst player of baseball so far this Yelich year. Will be fine. Bellinger will be fine. Acuna, I'm a... I'm a so I, I've watched, like... So the Mets have now played the Braves in half their games. So I've watched a lot of the Cunha at bats. I mean, that guy looks totally lost at the plate. Oh, he looks so bad. He can't catch up to a single fastball. He fishes on every slider that starts on the outside corner. I mean, he's... I mean, he's almost struck out in half his at-bats. He's struck out in 44% of his at-bats so far this year. I mean, he's looked absolutely terrible. And, you know, Acuna's going to be fine. His, his career's not over. He's 22. But I have, you know, I have sort of been pushing this idea on the podcast that as a community, people are too quick to hoist Acuna into superstardom. Yeah, one, yeah, I mean, they're basically talking about him replacing Trout. Yeah, he had a 126 WRC plus in his only full season. He's he's a good fielder, but not- Ryan Goodwin right now with a two run home run over the center field fence off Lance McCullers. We got a five four ball game in Anaheim, folks. Sorry, Sam. Nice, nice. Uh, but yeah, he's not. He's a good fielder, but he's not an all world fielder. And mm-hmm. I think you know he is obviously has immense, incredible talent. I'm not trying to say he's not going to be one of the best players in baseball for many years to come. But I'm just saying, I think people are sort of looking at what he will become and talking about him as if he's already there and he's not. And I would agree. And, you know, it's eight games. I'm not, I'm not saying Acuna's bad, but these eight games have been absolutely terrible. And I'm, and striking out in 44% of your at-bats looking totally lost is not a great look. Looking totally lost. But, you know, he's going to be fine. The question is, you boneheads who took him over Trout this year, like, or let's let's say not over Trout. Like, I guess Yellows looks awful, but, like, he got taken over a lot of people. Trout, definitely, but also the paternity leave we all knew was coming, and, like, it could be longer than that. Um, Is this really his year? It's a good question. We'll have to see, but... um, that brings us to some teams. So I will say that despite Acuna, the Braves have looked pretty good so far. Uh, they've won a lot of close games. I don't think it's sustainable. I mean, they they won with three hits against Tampa Bay yesterday. They won a game. But Sam, 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 I'm sorry. Let me jump in here and say there's no such thing as sustainable this year. It doesn't need to be sustainable. The fact that they've already won these close games is so important. And Sam's totally right. 2-1 over the Rays. 11-10 over the Mets today in a comeback. 7-4. They have one blowout, but then they're 5-3. They're 10-9. I 
they've won or lost most of their games by three or four runs here. Yeah, and the 5-3 game you mentioned, you know, they were down a run until they... Yeah, I was watching that game. Zuna hit a home run, you know, with two outs and nobody on, two strikes. I mean... Off, off of Eddie Diaz, off a pretty good pitch. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think, you know, the Braves are, are a good team. Freeman and Acuna have not looked that good. Albies has not looked that good. Their best hitter has been probably Ozuna so far. Wait, what are you talking about? Freeman just went four for four with like a homer and a double. Not today. Not today. But you said he wasn't looking good. Maybe just in the games I've watched against the Mets. But uh, yeah, okay. Freeman Freeman's maybe had a had a had a decent season uh, so far. Uh, but Acuna and Albies have looked. Not great. Ozuna's actually looked really good. Um, at the yeah, Ozuna Ozuna's looks like a great pickup so far. Um, the pitching has looked decent at the top, but not deep. Um, Max Freed looked amazing yesterday. Max Freed looked so good. Uh, Sean Newcomb, I don't think is a guy you keep, you can keep throwing out there as your third starter. Well, but they're not like using him like a starter. Like, they have no plans of throwing in more than four innings in a game. Yeah. And I do think that's sustainable. I've been, I, how many times am I going to say this on this pod? Piggybacking guys who are three, four, five inning guys. It's happening. Everybody's doing it right now. And I think we're just going to see more of it as the season goes on and we're playing seven inning double headers. What the hell is that? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's an interesting season. There have been a lot, a lot of weird results so far. You know, in normal season, you'd just be saying it's eight games. Like, who cares? But we're more than a tenth of the way through the season. So Yeah, are you kidding me? Like, all these games matter. And so for me, I got to take a second here to talk about the D-backs. And for me to watch the D-backs start the season off with four in San Diego. And to lose three of four in San Diego and oh, barely, barely eke out their one win. Robbie Ray is a train wreck. He doesn't know how to throw strikes. He gets 0-2 and then always, always, always goes 3-2 Trevor Story with a bomb right now in the pods game. Yes, baby, that's good for the fantasy squad and it's good for the D-backs. Those are the best kind of things. Robbie Ray's been a nightmare. Nick Ahmed's the second worst hitter in baseball right now. Their whole lineup hadn't had a home run until yesterday. It just, oh, it's so hard to watch right now. So they go in, they drop three or four to the pods. They split a two-game set with the Rangers. And now they've dropped one to the Dodgers and they're down two nothing in the fifth. They could straight up start this season two and six. Yeah, and uh, the Mets have already gotten to three and five. You watch these games; it really feels like they should be at least five and three. Like they're just—it feels like they should be winning a lot of these games that they're not, and they're just throwing games away that they have no business losing. It's—it's it's really frustrating to watch, uh, and it just feels totally magnified by the sixty-game season. Um, but you know, this is the life of a of a fan of a 
of a franchise like the Mets, of a franchise like the Arizona Diamondbacks. But hey, they're trying to let us in with the eight, with the 16-team playoffs. Mm-hmm. They're doing their very best to give us a shot. And the Mets and the D-backs are doing their very best to not take that shot. Now, of course, some teams that have looked very good, um, obviously the Yankees have looked extremely good. The Indians have been a huge surprise behind the incredibly strong pitching start. We know they're a team that can go on crazy runs. We know they're a team whose pitching can carry them, even when the bats don't come. Um, the Marlins are are in the NL East lead because they've only played three games and they're two and one right now. Um, but the Marlins, I think it's a good point because the Marlins straight up spoiled the Phillies. And we talked about this in the beginning. The Marlins came out and they took two games from the Phillies. The Giants came out and looked really good against the Dodgers. We're seeing teams like them, I think, I I won't even say we're seeing them fight more than regular season because I don't think that's true. But we're seeing them be more important more immediately, right? Because, like, sure, the Phillies could lose a series to the Marlins once in a season and it wouldn't be a huge deal. But now it is. Yeah. I mean, it's a super weird season. It's it's hard to adjust to. You know, normally I start a season and I'm watching every game – uh, like every Mets game. And I'm reacting like disproportionately to single games. Like, because at the beginning of the season, it feels more important than it actually is. But then you settle into some emotional equilibrium and you like sort of appropriately rate games. But I feel like that's not going to happen this season. I'm just no, it's not. emotionally tormented every single night as the Mets bullpen blows game after game. I'm going to become an emotional wreck. I'm not going to be able to do the podcast anymore because we're sitting <laughs> and I'm watching the Mets blow a game. I, you know, I could barely concentrate talking to you tonight because of the train wreck I'm watching on screen. It's a, uh, it's a tough situation to watch. It's a wild ride for us this year. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the fun of it. That's the beauty of baseball. And, you know, I think we'll, we'll have a lot more to talk about next week. We definitely will. So um, we want to thank you guys for stopping by as usual. Um, It is wonderful to get to talk about real games being played. Um, Hopefully as the season goes on, you know, we can stick to mostly news. Um, We'll keep the times down a little bit like I believe we did on this. And so that's it for us today. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, remember to give us a follow on Twitter at the Alonzo bet, uh, and make sure to email us any suggestions, any new stats you want to hear, any topics you want covered, the Alonzo bet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. I'm Sam. And please remember to leave ratings if you enjoy the podcast. Uh, but with that, we are signing off.